welcome to my podcast. I am Donna O. I wanted to create a podcast that will allow us to see the world from new and different perspectives by having sometimes difficult and challenging conversations such as race or talking about lifestyle, health, relationships, and spirituality. If you're ready to begin a journey that will push you to open your heart and push you to change your mind, then please join me on Moving Through and With Heart. In having conversations with my parents, friends, and colleagues, I am now realizing that being Black does not mean that we all have the same experiences or even similar ones. This actually gave me a bit of a break because I thought, you see, that I thought there was something wrong with me because my experiences and my life and history have sounded and looked very different from the people around me. I discovered that being Black does not necessarily connect us. Our lives and experiences are also different. My newfound awareness has deepened my curiosity on who are we, who am I, and what are the things that actually connects us. After talking to other family members where their parents grew up in the South, they would not have dreamed of not listening to the parents as Black people. They cannot risk their lives doing so. They cannot risk their safety. My father grew up in New York, which offered him many privileges that he would not have had as a Black man if he would have lived in the South. If you enjoyed my last episode with my father, Elbert Tolson, then you will enjoy this episode as we continue to talk about what it is like being a Black man growing up in the 50s, his challenges of taking care of his family. You will hear him reflect on what he has learned and offer great advice for the challenges we face today. As you listen, I hope that you can begin to see things from a different angle and look at your own life and see the blessings. So you talked about that you were one of the first to go to college I'm curious as to what it was like for you going to college back then, um, being a black man, going to college. Like, what were the years you went to college, and what was it like for you going to college? I would assume there weren't a lot of black people in college at the time. It was fun. It was a, lot, it was a fun time to go to college, because none of us went to school in the day, in, in the uh morning and afternoon semesters. We all had to work, so we all had to spend our time in school in the evenings, so we had to take night classes. And it was fun. You were with your friends, what few you had. The courses were not hard. But do you think it was different for you being a black man in college? Did you find any, what, did you experience no. any adversity whatsoever? No. No. We went to the city colleges in New York, and we didn't experience any racial or ethnic problems. In the classrooms, we were as equal as anybody else, so much so that the professors would call on minority students to participate as much as they did anybody else. I attended uh, a school 
outside of the city colleges where I was the only Afro-American in the class. And I was treated just like anybody else. And that was the American Institute of Banking. And there you had persons in class, everyone trying to get ahead in the banking industry by learning it, all the intricacies. And all of us were, we, none of us experienced anything. We laughed together, we had snacks together, we had lectures together. Um, and we had fun. So let me ask you this, because you, as a black man, are very fair-skinned. Do you feel that being a fair-skinned black man actually gave you privileges that protected you from experiencing so much racism back then? Yes. That was part of the culture. Because as a light-skinned black man, you even experienced hardships culture-wise from your own race. You had dark-skinned Afro-Americans that treated you different than another dark-skinned Afro-American. Socializing, when you went to parties, most of the time, females, dark and light, kind of gravitated toward light-skinned or fair-skinned Afro-Americans. Not to say that they didn't love their darker-skinned brothers as much, but that's just the way it was. We didn't think anything of it. We didn't have any problems. You just accepted it as something that was normal. But yeah, you didn't think and, it, and, it, and it was normal. Now, in some black families, your mother and or your father would teach you, yes, there are some differences in you being of a lighter skin than your darker-skinned brethren. But we were so free-spirited, we really didn't take it to heart. It didn't bother us at all. Um, we got along with everybody. So one of the things that, for me, that has really come up with all the work that I've been doing um, around race right now is that I really did not have a lot of the experiences that other people have. Like, I did not... In, grow up really noticing color and really noticing race. And I find it interesting as I talk to you that you really didn't think of anything of it either. What do you think attribute to that? You know, because all of these things now are just like coming to the forefront for me and have been really challenging and made me start to look at my own life, my own upbringing, really dive into thinking about my own experiences and I realized that I can't really relate completely because I did not experience racism or people really treating me differently. There are a few things that happened in my life, but it wasn't in the forefront of my life of being a black child or a black woman. What do you think are the messages that you received as a child 
as well as an adult that during such a powerful time of the 60s and 70s, when it was a black movement, that it did not seem to shape you or affect you thinking about being a black man and how you need to be different. Because we weren't treated differently. We didn't look at it being treated differently. We didn't attend a, a lot of rallies and things like that. We just went along our, our normal way of life. The only time we attended any march or anything was the march on Washington. Other than that, any group environments were all social. Weekends away, skiing, uh, bowling. That's how we spent our time outside of work, outside of school. In your case, when you were growing up, we lived in a neighborhood where all the people around us and around you were not majority Afro-American or Latino. So because of that, your mother and I strive and our friends to put you or grow you up into what we thought would be a better environment, and that's what we strive for. We had the jobs to do it, we had the education to do it, and we had the foresight to do it, and it worked out for us. When you say better environment, do you mean socioeconomic or culturally, like different types of people? Both. Both. Because you grew up in Co-op City in the Bronx, and at that time, culturally, the population was about 95% Jewish and five, or say 90% Jewish and 10% other. There were experiences that you could see where there was some racial unrest. It wasn't always harmony, but you got through it. You didn't have to, you didn't protest and things like that. If a situation arose, you took care of that situation one-on-one -on -one with either that person or that group. And it was very, it was limited. So we didn't experience a lot of those things. I just think it's interesting, so how, I've just been trying to figure out, like, what, why was my life so different that I did not, or why was your life so different, or mom's life so different, that we did not take on the feeling of racial inequality and that we did not see ourselves as being diminished because of the color of our skin and we did not see the world as racist whereas I feel like I because of everything that's happened um, recently it's come more to the forefront to me, how so many other African-American and Black people, as well as POC people, which is people of color, have really experienced their standing in the world as diminished or negative or had negative experiences because of their color of their skin or because they're different. And it's been amplified. And I don't know why my life was so different that I feel like I haven't had those experiences and that I'm more part of the world versus seeing myself 
as a black woman. I experienced more being a, seeing myself as a black woman since I moved to North Carolina than ever I did in my entire life. And I'm just trying to figure out why my life was so different. What was it about my life or what was it about how you guys brought us up? What thinking patterns have you ingrained in us or what have you that we did not think that way? It's just so interesting to me. Your mother had a great deal to do with that. Your mother kept you guys so busy in so many different things. There was no time to have that brought into your life. Your mother made sure you guys were in the arts, were in dancing, um, ceramics, sports, of course, your education. And because of the area we lived in, that helped because our environment in the neighborhood we lived in did not, ex not, did not experience on the inside a lot of the strikes that were going on on the outside. It was almost like we were sheltered because where we lived at that time, we all were growing up, was like an experiment because it was a huge um, co-op development complex and people just wanted to live. Um, we didn't, we, didn't, we didn't experience a lot of the hullabaloo that was going on. And it was all around us. But because of the kind of family we had, the friends we had, and the associates and people we lived with, it wasn't there. That's why you didn't experience it. But a lot of that had to do with your mother. Because of what she wanted you guys to be involved in. And that transcended into her friends. All of our friends that were raising their kids at that time, like you all, we were all in the same thing. Well, she said that she chose her friends from the heart. Right, she and did. So therefore, it wasn't about whether they were black or white. And because yes. she chose like that, it seems like it just wasn't in anybody's mind to live their life experiences exactly. that way. Right. Um, so it's like, it's almost like there's this, for me, it's been almost like coming to listening to your story, your mom's story, almost like there's a spiritual component to how we were raised of a bigger picture, seeing the world through the lens of a bigger picture so that we did not see it as less than or that we're less than we, I just feel like we were, you guys connected at least for me that I could see myself in the world that I'm just part of this big world and I can really choose how I want to experience it and the type of people I wanted to connect to through my heart versus thinking about what they look on the outside really thinking about who they are on the inside and that just created a world for me that I had all different types of friends and all different types of being experiences and I would never thought there were going to be things in my life Prevented me from succeeding like the color of my skin. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't know what your that's thoughts true. are on that. That's true. Uh, when I was being raised by my parents, 
we were not raised in a neighborhood or culture where they talked about race. And I attribute that to because they were doing well. They worked hard. And the people they associated with, which was interesting, when I look back at a lot of them, they were all had the same things in common when it came to their work, their education, what they strive for to be happy. And I would say most of them were a fair skin. There were not a lot of dark-skinned Afro-Americans in their circle. Either on my mother's side or my father's side. And we did, we grew up in a middle-class neighborhood where it was a mix of Italians, Irish, Jews, Afro-Americans, Latinos came later. So, were you taught to spend more of your time with light-skinned black people? Did anybody have said that to you? No, we no? weren't taught to spend any. It just happened to be in your, in your environment. It was there. We weren't taught to go here, there, or any place else. Um, uh, my father didn't have any racial complexes. My mother did. She had a few. And I think that's because of the way she was raised. But my father had not, and I kind of learned that from him, um, because people just took to him. Let me ask you something, and this might be kind of hard to ask, but it occurred to me from our last conversation, do you think that there, do you think that there was a chance your dad spent time passing? No, I don't think passing, but I think he was accepted in certain circles that a lot of other people couldn't have been accepted in, no matter what color they were. My father had some very interesting friends. I had some very interesting friends, and still do to a degree, those are still alive. Um, so I don't think race had anything to do with it. I think we were the exception. Um, when I worked for the airline, when I worked for the banking industry on Wall Street, socially I was invited to parties in areas that other Afro-Americans probably wouldn't have dreamed of, would have dreamed to be invited to, but wouldn't, couldn't. And I don't know how that happened and why it happened, but I was just accepted into certain circles, and it might have been because of the jobs I had on Wall Street. Because at the time when I worked on Wall Street, it was not heavily laden with Afro-Americans, no matter what the color was. So, um, by being in that kind of environment also, taught you culturally what was acceptable and what wasn't. It was hands-on learning as opposed to looking in a book or somebody telling you about it. 
I saw things and heard things and was involved with things that helped me grow, which probably helped me not even think about being involved in any movement. I didn't have to because I was firing. So I didn't volunteer for too many things. That would be controversial. So people say now, um, so you were talking just now about um, learning how to be in certain environments. And today, I don't know if you're aware of this, but people feel that there is a certain amount of what they call code switching. As black people, they code switch, meaning they're in one environment, they speak one way, and they're in another environment, they speak another way. Do you think there's a that you were actually taught to literally code switch so that when you were with different people, you, let's say, acted more white, and then when you got with black people, you spoke differently, or do you feel like you speak the same no matter what? No, you do that. You knew how to do that, and that's probably, probably part of the acceptability. You're the trainer, the teacher of people in the banking industry how to write programs on a mainframe computer. So when there's some technical issues come, you're the guru. Because of that, you develop friendships with the people who you're fraternizing with. Out of that, there may be some in that circle socially that have struck a bond with you. They could be Italian, they could be Irish, they could be Jewish, whatever. They have a party. And they come to you and you say, we're having a party, such and such. We'd like for you to attend. And you say to yourself, what? Whoa, wait a minute. Now that race culture comes in, you're a black man, these folks are white. They're inviting you to your party. And where they live is not the norm where Afro-Americans go. So you go to the party. And you're accepted in the party just as well as anybody else. No signs of any discrimination or differences. So that's an example. Now, that could be because of the Wall Street environment. I don't know. It could be just something that just happened, but you were a part of it. When we were growing up, I don't know about my sister, how much she remembers or what she called on to, but later on in years, when I look back, I could see a lot of things that we were groomed into, had no idea what it was. And it helped as a building block for us because of the adults that we were around because of my parents. Case in point. I didn't. I don't remember. I think it's interesting you say that you did do code switching because I honestly, growing up, don't remember hearing much of that. Maybe I've heard a tiny bit, and it was always depending on the friends you were around. 
more than anything else. Like you, I remember you being different, depending on the different friends that came right. to the house or whatever. That's exactly right. But I don't remember being taught to be different around white people versus black people. I feel like my world was the same the whole time. Like right. I was you know. always... It wasn't until I'd become an adult, and I used to get teased because I really didn't know, let's say, the lingo or the slang or the mannerisms around of that were considered more black mannerisms. And I think it's really interesting. Um, as I always remember, as we were coming up, it was considered like this whole, we, there was the term eubonics, remember? Like the all setting we got a whole, there's a whole other language for black people. And I was always told that we didn't want to speak like that. So I never learned how to really understand the slang and the dialect and everything that they used. And um, I was always teased for that reason because I didn't understand what people were talking about. I didn't know what the slang was out there. I didn't know what they were talking about when I was hearing rap music. Like I couldn't even understand what they were saying half the time. So it wasn't until now I feel like that has grown where we really do have a whole separate culture, which I don't remember us having a, such a separate culture growing up. Now it's like it's grown, that there really is this whole other level. And maybe it came with the hip-hop scene maybe brought in that whole other culture. I don't know. But it's like change where there really is a whole other culture that I don't recall us ever having when I was coming up. Do you know what I mean? Like, I didn't get it. Now, I don't know, it's different. It's, well, you, it's were, you, all were, you all were sheltered pretty good, too, because your mother didn't let it go all out of, straight too far. So when you all were growing up, your mother saw to it that you all were sheltered and were very much into a lot of activities, who you were around, and your mother made sure that she knew parents um, of your friends or acquaintances. She knew what direction she wanted you all to take and she made sure you took that, dire that direction and race didn't have anything to do with it. Unless it came about where a situation where you had to, for instance, you guys used to go to Pennsylvania for Fresh Air Fund. Your mother was able to get you into that program. Well, the families that you guys spent a couple of summers with were in the Amish country. That's unheard of if you look at what's going on today that I know of where a black family would send their kids to not only a white family to stay with for the summer, but the Amos country at the same time? It just didn't exist. But your mother, after attributing it to her, she made sure that, that was sort of like a certain type of sheltering. She felt the more well-rounded, the more you all could enjoy yourselves, have your freedoms, the more you were exposed to different things the better off you would be later on. And if she turned out to be right. Do you feel that um, faith came into play, like that you had a lot of spiritual faith in order to make these things 
Never thought of it that way. Never thought of it that way. No. Didn't think of anything faith-wise until your mother decided to put you and your sister into the Catholic weekend retreat. Yeah, but that is that's so that's religion. So to me, faith is different. Oh, okay. Faith. When I mean faith, I mean being connected to something bigger than yourself. Feel like. Your life is being guided by something I think for that reason. I think, I think so, yes. You may not realize it when it happens, but if you think back, you can say faith had a big, big part in your life. Huge part in your life. But you didn't know it. Yeah, but I would think on some level you would think that only because you had such a that you could do it. Then. Oh, not then. So as you look back, you realize that there was something guiding you to being. Oh, yeah. Wouldn't have made it without it. Let me ask you this. What it, was it like for you being a black man growing up in America at that time? If you have to look back at it. I know you said that you didn't think about it, but I'm just curious if it did. The only the biggest drawback at that time was depending upon how high you wanted to go working in a corporation, would you be allowed to? And there were certain ceilings that a black man just couldn't get on. Period. And how do you think it's different for black men now versus then? I don't know. I think it's, well, I think it's different now because of all of the situation black men have been involved in, protests, marches. Um, well, that's before, I'm looking at before, like even the protests that just happened. No, I'm not talking about these. They were protesting things back then, too. Remember, you had the Black Panther Party back then. You had SNCC, which is a student non-violent committee. Uh, you had all the things that John Lewis was involved in, Jesse Jackson. So those things then have helped to evolve where we are now. Without that, we would never be where we are. So Except that it was contained then in America. Today, the big difference is it's worldwide. Meaning the fight is worldwide. Right. And then it would be squashed in a month or two. People look back and say, oh, you know, everything is back to the way it was. Things would keep on going bad, worse. Now it's different because it's out there. And what America never wanted is to have their laundry aired like it's being aired now. And those at the very top that breathe on people at the bottom never wanted them to rise to certain attributes anyway. That's going away now. And you have more of a multiracial culture other than just black, white, and Latino now. That is a plus. Why do you think it's so hard for black men now, like the 
there is such a break in the black and African-American family structure and seeing things seem to be so much harder for black men. Like, why do you think that is? I think because the more achievements that black people have tried to make, the more the resistance, the more resistance, the worse it gets. One thing in America that happens a lot is you're going to have some blacks that are going to excel in any facet. But you, you look at it like a game. We're at the top of the game, and we're going to dictate all the rules, and we're going to anticipate all the moves. And we have a backup for this and a backup for that. So if this doesn't work, that'll work. The object is, how do we keep the enslavement going of people? We're going to benefit because they're going to get by and do whatever they have to do. How do we make sure that they don't get too far? Now, there are going to be some that are going to get far, either by faith, because they've been anointed to go that far, like, for instance, Barack Obama was, and then there's some going to slip through the cracks, but it's all under control. And when you look at America today, the control is not the same anymore. A lot of the grip is being loosened, not tightened. And those who don't want change are trying to keep things the way they were. Then that's not going to happen. It's going, it's changing, and it's going to keep changing, and it's going to keep changing for the better. So what would you tell black men today, young black men? What would you tell them, if you had the chance, you had a forum to tell them something to help them? What would you share with them? Get well-educated and fight to where you want to be. Make sure you're on the road you want to be and don't deviate from it. There'll be times when you're going to have to go off the path. But when you go off the path, make sure you learn from it so that when you get back on the path, you'll be better than you were before. But education is the key. And it's not just education sitting in the classroom. It's education, looking at everything. That's what they're going to have to do. They're going to have to be individualistic first and then form nucleuses. But you can't form a nucleus unless you have a plan and you have the talent, you have the will, and you're brazen enough to say, you know, this is the path we want to take. This is what we're going to do, and nothing's going to stop us. Now, along the way, they may find, oh, you know what? Well, I like this better. I don't know if I want to keep going that way. I think I want to go this way because I learned something different that I didn't know. That's the case. We'll do it. But they've got to strike out on a path that they want to set. 
and your formative years of education are going to help get it any way you can. Now you can get your education easier than it was when I was growing up because you got the internet. It's so interesting that you say that because meanwhile with the whole coronavirus, education seems to be struggling so much. Because of change. Change is always the key. Change, change, change. There are those who do not like change. And it's hard to overcome change. You have to understand it. You have to want it. And then one of the things that's different today than before is because everything is not just contained in America anymore. It's worldwide. And people are seeing the autocrats and the dictatorships that are there. Something's going to have to be done there also. And perhaps America will lead the way in that. But it's definitely a good change that's coming about. And what would you say to black men that are struggling with their families, to take care of their families or be in family structures? We just have to keep struggling. Most black men have always had some struggle to get there. I know I did. But you persevere and you just keep going and going and going. And there's going to be times when you're going to come across something you don't like it. It's hard for you to handle. But you have to keep trying. And there's nothing wrong with trying. And don't let anything stop you where somebody will belittle you in saying, oh, you're making a living, you're making a living um, delivering food? That ain't no living. Oh, yes it is. To that black man it is. Because it's helping him put food on the table. It's temporary. From that, he will learn. And it's a means to an end. But you have to keep going. And where the faith comes in is that God is looking down on you and really taking care of you. You don't sense it. You don't know it. But, but, but the Lord is, is there. And you just have to keep on going as if to say, nothing's going to stop me. Man's not going to stop me. Because God knows the plan for you before you even think about it yourself. That's what I think anyway. But you have an advice for that man, let's say, that is delivering food and feeling like that he just wants to give up, that he can't take care of his family, that he doesn't have, he's not making enough money. Like, where does he go from there? How does he keep himself going? How does he believe that? He, he has to believe that one day it will change. And until that day comes, he has to keep doing what he's doing. And even if it means trying some other things, deviating from that and doing something different. But he has to know within his heart that he's going to be better. And when he's better, his family's going to be better. I mean, that's all there is to it. And hopefully, he has a good woman that's working with him. But in my dark days, when I was unemployed, and I had jobs delivering newspapers by car, 
and doing other things in order to make a living. Your mother was working two and three jobs, which helped. So she was really the breadwinner. She was out front until I could do better. And as things started going on, we got better. Also, within that black man, there's a lesson that has to be learned, too. He cannot be afraid to take a chance or... I can't, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, kind of tell a little white lie if he has to. When I was delivering newspapers, I kept looking for a job. Then I saw something in a newspaper. A college was looking for a teacher. I said, I'm applying for that job. I hadn't done any teaching. But in jobs I had, I had taught co-workers. So I went and applied for the job. There were about six or seven candidates. And all of them had to speak in front of other teachers that were already on staff, the principal, one of the deans, etc. And they all got up and spoke about their credentials. All of them had master's degrees, except me. So I said, oh, wow, this is really going to be interesting. So when I got up in front of the class to give my presentation, I gave my education, and I said, I have a master's degree. Well, nobody could check it at that time. So that was a little white line. But then I was asked a question by a teacher, and I think the, the question was a godsend because I would have never thought about talking about the subject if she hadn't asked the question. And when she asked the question, I said to myself, wow, none of these other candidates got this question. So I said, well, here, let me, go, let me give the answer. And the answer that I gave, I found out later, was not only the correct answer, but was an answer that they, had, they were looking for somebody with that caliber. But, so that helped me. But I also knew enough to say, well, I'm going to get slick. They got master's degrees, I got one too. So if anything, I'm just as equal as they are. There are times when a black man, or any man, not just black, has to play the game. And you have to be better at it than anybody else. And a lot of times, that might come from your street sense, not book sense. So I was fortunate to always have good friends that hung out in the street. And to some degree, there's nothing like it. Um, right or wrong, indifferent, it don't matter. But that sense can also help you if you're going to try to rise in a corporation, that can help you in a corporation as well.
because it gives you an edge that the others don't have. Now, the side effect to that is how far will that cooperation let you go? Any cooperation that I work for, any, I got to a certain plateau and then my legs were cut out from under me. And it was hard in the beginning. Um, I had remorse, a lot of things, a little hate. But then I gathered myself and said, hmm, I was right to do what I did or say what I said, because they didn't know. But they don't want that smart black man. So I just have to move on. That's the way it is. Can't get around it. So I say, in answer to your question, too, you're a black man. Some things are not going to change, period. And it doesn't necessarily have to be racial. It could be education. It could be your work ethic. It could be culture. But you have to stay on it as an individual and keep striving, keep striving to get where you want to go. Now, it might take time. You may never get to where you want to go. But at least you'll be happy doing what you're doing and you'll do well. But I think a lot of these successes I've had had to do with being sheltered somewhat as a kid growing up. Because I never went down a wrong road that I couldn't recover from or that would get me in trouble. And that's, that's uh, I have to credit that to my family and how much leash they let me have. But we, my sister and I grew up in, in a very interesting environment which helped propel us to where we are now. Especially when we look back. I can look back now and I can see every position, every job, every company that I was involved with and why the things happened that they did. And they were not, they were negative for me at the time. They are not negative now. Well, it's great that you look up at, at life and see the lessons. And I think we usually, things happen and we take them to heart and we never really try to see them from different perspectives. And I believe that we always have to try seeing things from different perspectives. And that's when we learn and that's when yeah. we grow. And I guess I got that honest. <laughs> yeah, it's true. So it's you good do. that you can look at life and go, you know, I learned something from that, regardless, even though it was painful at the time. Well, this is the end of the series of conversations with my parents, for now anyway. (laughs) Our stories of our past and our family stories have the opportunity to teach us so much. I urge you to have your own conversations. It's sometimes helpful to be shown or reminded of those parts of ourselves that we do not notice as talented, smart, resilient, or even as skilled. 
My father has taught me that no matter what adversity lies ahead, there's always a way to look at things differently and try to see a silver lining. Take a moment, stop and try to see the silver lining, then regroup and start again. Until next time, thank you for listening. I am Donnie O, and this is Move Through and With Heart.